Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. All right, guys, happy Easter. I hope your morning is going okay so far. Today's message is called, uh, It is the Lord, and it's from John 21, and we're going to go through verses 1 to 17. Now, I just want to remind you of a couple things before we jump in. Uh, you can fill out a care card. Let us know how you're doing. You can do that on our website. You can see on the buttons below uh, a spot to do that. And just let us know any prayer request that you have right now or any needs that you may have. We really want to do our best to take care of you and uh, love you during this, uh, this season. Also, don't forget about our elder and flock conversations. Those happen on Thursday nights. That's at 8 p.m. And so we'd love for you to jump on and join us and just spend time in the Word together and praying for one another. Now, again, we're in John 21. There's lots of things in my life that I'm grateful for, but, uh, but one of the things I appreciate so much is our family barbecue that happens every year in the summer. And I'm really hoping that this year that we'll be able to do it again. And it's just such a good time. We There's good food. There's good music. There's lots of jokes. There's games. The vibe is just completely right. And my whole family, Kim, the boys, we are grateful for this time because, because this time together, what it does is it reminds us of the importance of family. It also reminds my boys, and this is really important to me, it reminds my boys of the importance of our culture, of our Jamaican culture. And, uh, and we all have things that we should be grateful for, and we are grateful for. Some of us were grateful for technology. Some of us were grateful for a great glass of wine. Some of us were grateful for electricity, the fact that there's lights in our homes, there's lights on the street. We're grateful for our church. We're grateful for a good friend. But here's the, the thing a Christian is most grateful for. The Christian is most grateful for the fact that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. Look at uh, Luke 24, verses 1 to 6 says, uh, On the first day of the week, uh, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. So they go to the tomb of Jesus, and they found that the stole, stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they, they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were perplexed about this, this. And behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. So there's these two angels there, and they're, they're afraid. And they bowed their faces to the ground, and the, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And the angels say this. They say, he is not here, but has risen. Jesus is alive. And the thing I want to show you from this text today is four 
reasons we should be, as Christians, grateful for this reality. But let me pray before we look at it. Uh, Father, we pray, Lord God, to the one who hears us, to the one who knows us, to the one who loves us uh, more than we could ever imagine. And God, I want to pray for those uh, in your church uh, today who are struggling, who are feeling lonely. I pray that there would be such a sense of your presence in their life. God, I want to pray for those who are uh, feeling uh, that isolation, who are longing to be together. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us all peace in that area. And Lord, would you cause us to be able to be together very soon? Would you work in your providential way to get us out of this season? But I pray, Lord God, that you would not get us out of this season until you have taught us what you want us to know and to see. I pray you would continue to refine your church, to strengthen it in this time, and give us opportunities to shine a bright light. And Lord, we turn now to your word, and I pray, God, that our hearts would be one that is ready to receive, that we would be praying in our hearts even now for uh, you to speak, to give us a word, to encourage us, Lord God, where we need it. Fill me with your spirit as I seek to encourage my brothers and sisters from your word today. Thank you that Jesus is alive. Show us now, Lord God, why we should be hopeful, why we should be joyful in the midst of uh, this trial that you have us in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we have four reasons that we should be grateful that Jesus is alive. Here's the first one. We can do nothing without him. We can do nothing without him. Verses 1 to 3 says, after this, Jesus, this is verse, uh, chapter 21 of John, says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called a twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So they decided to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we're, we're going to go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. John says here, they, they go, they decide, we're going we're gonna to go fish together. And he says that on that night, they caught absolutely nothing. He highlights their utter lack of success. They have been toiling all night, and they have nothing to show for it. But look at verse 4. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. Jesus calls out to them and he says, children, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? And the answer obviously is, is no. But this, what this question does is it highlights the problem that they have. It highlights a problem by asking them this question. Jesus shows them, you have a problem. And notice, they have a problem and Jesus shows up. It says that Jesus, as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. He comes to their aid. They have a problem and he shows up. You know that it's the same thing for us, right? That we had a problem, but that Jesus Christ showed up. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Watch this, though. This, is, this should encourage your heart. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, watch this, he gave the right to become 
children of God. Our problem was that we were outside the family of God. There was a point where there was a separation between us and God, that we were not his children, but now in Christ to all who did believe. If you're sitting there right now and you have faith in Christ, the reality for you is you're inside the family of God that we had a problem, but Jesus comes and he solves that problem. Notice in the text that he says, children. He speaks to them from a place of identity. They're called children, and that's what we're called now. We are called the children of God. We were, had a problem. We were outside the family of God. Now in Christ, we've brought, been brought into the family of God. And maybe you're wondering, how does this passage apply to the non-Christian? How does this section of John speak to the non-believer? Well, what it says is that it's possible for you to be welcomed into the family of God. It it shows you the way in. It, 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 It first tells you the bad news, and the bad news is that you're outside the family. But it also tells you the good news, and the good news is that through Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, if you believe the gospel, if you believe that we rebelled against God, but that God in his grace sent his son, that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and died in our place, like we learned on Good Friday, if you believe that and repent of your sin and confess, believing in your heart that Jesus is God, that he lived for us, that he died for us, and that God raised him from the dead to prove that sin was paid for. If you believe that non-Christian, you will be saved and you will be accepted into the family of God. You will be brought from outside to inside and that can happen for you the moment you trust the gospel. The disciples can't catch anything without Jesus, but when Jesus shows up, that changes everything. Look at verse six, it says, it says he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Jesus is like, you don't have any fish? Okay, put it on the right side, and you will find some. It says, says, so they cast it, it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. He tells them where to put it. But notice, he doesn't say you might find some. He guarantees it. He says, you will find something. He makes, find some. He makes this promise and they obey they obey and the text says it says that they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish their obedience leads to good results by listening to the voice of God Jesus Christ good things come to their life now some of the most frustrating some of the most painful times in my life has been when I've ignored the voice of Jesus Christ when I have trusted in my own way. See, following the commands of Jesus can be hard. Following the commands can be hard. But when we ignore the commands of Jesus Christ, it leads to lasting pain. We are to listen and obey Jesus if we want good results to come to our life. See, the disciples, yes, they had a problem on that beach. On that, on, on, on that night they were out fishing. They had a problem, but their problem wasn't the lack of fish. Their problem was the absence of Jesus Christ. That was the problem. And he shows up, and that makes all the difference. And this big catch of fish is actually uh, has a symbolic meaning. Edward Clink, he said this in his commentary, he says, the absence of fish 
as the direct object of you will find some strongly implies that the object about which Jesus spoke is less fish and more people. The magnitude of of fish is not intended for a meal, but to symbolize the effective authorization and promise of the risen one to fulfill the missionary mandate that he has given to his disciples. There's so much going on around us right now. There's so much confusion. There's so much fear. There's so much anxiety. There's so much stress on people. And, and with all that is going on around us, do you know what can happen? We can easily forget that we still have a mission to do, that we still have been called to spread the gospel. And what we need to do is we need to continue to be like the woman at the well in John 4, who when she meets Jesus, do you know what she does? She, she runs back into town and she, she calls everyone and she says, come and see, come and see the Savior. Come and see the one who told me all that I ever did. Come and see the one who loved me in a way no one else has ever loved me before. Come and see the one who, is, who would be so committed to you and walk with you for the rest of your life and treat you with compassion. We still have a mission to, to complete. We, we still have been called to spread the gospel even in this trying and difficult season. And here's the thing that we have to remember in the midst of all of this. Success, success comes through dependence on Jesus Christ. It comes through dependence on Jesus Christ. Earlier in the gospel, in John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Marv, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Hope Church, Toronto North, you can do nothing. We can, ha- we can do nothing of spiritual value without dependence on Jesus Christ. See, this text, what it makes very clear is that Jesus is the true catcher of the fish. It's not the disciples. It's when he shows up, they start catching things. See, our work in, in, in gospel mission, our work is truly his work. And we will only be successful in it when we follow his direction, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and when we do it in his presence. That is how success comes in this gospel work that he has given us. But we cannot forget that we've been given this work to do, even in this, in this season. When I was younger, I got in trouble with, uh, with the police uh, one time. It wasn't anything crazy. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, and, uh, and I was just acting prideful, young, and, uh, and very stupid. And uh, my, I remember uh, getting picked up by my mother. And I just remember the last thing I wanted to do in that moment was go near her. I just, I just didn't want to get near her. I could see the look in her eyes. I could, I could, just, I could see that it probably wasn't going to go real good uh, for, for me. And and sometimes when we, when we sin, when we mess up, we act like this with God. We don't necessarily want to go to him, but this, these next set of verses show us that that's not the right way to act. Look at verse 7. It says, The disciple that Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. There's our message title. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment for for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. 
The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Notice that they figure out that it's Jesus. They figure out that it's Jesus, but I want you to just take in what Peter does. Verse 7, it says, it says, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter could not wait to get to Jesus. That This brother swims a hundred yards. He's like, I don't care what's going on. I don't care how much fish we caught, whatever it is. That is my Lord over there. And I'm going, I'm going to get to him as fast as I can get to him. He wants to get to Jesus as fast as he can. And notice it says in the text that when, when they got to land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place. This is the second time that John has used this phrase, the charcoal fire. I want to show you where we saw this before. John 18. John 18 says, Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Notice who's there. Peter also was with them. Peter's there. Peter's at this fire, standing and warming himself. Verses 25 to 27 says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, Here it comes. They said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? Watch this. He denied it and said, I am not. Under the pressure, out of fear, Peter buckles at this fire. He he gives in to fear. He says, he says, and then it says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, didn't I not see you in the garden with him? He says, Wait a minute, I, I saw you. You were, you were there. Did I not see you? And watch this. Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. This charcoal fire, when Peter gets to land, when he gets to Jesus, when he sees this fire, it would have been this clear reminder of his betrayal of his friend. It would have been this clear reminder of his failure. And you and I, we've, we've got things in our, our life that remind us of our failures. Maybe it's when we see a certain person that we have let down. Maybe it's a a song that just floods back these memories. It's a sound. Maybe it's a place. They they just bring these memories back to mind, this memory of our failure, the memories of the, the times where we have fallen flat, when we expected to do better, but we did not. And in those moments, when we remember these memories, do you know what we need to do? We need to remember the grace of Jesus Christ. See, this... This fire, this, this first fire was a place of failure. This second fire is a place of forgiveness. It's a place of restoration. It's a place of grace. And here's the second reason you and I should be grateful that Jesus is alive. Here it is. We can always go to him. We can always go to him. See, when we sin, Peter, what he does is he shows us what to do. He shows us that we are to, as fast as we can, run to our king who is alive because he is living and he is compassionate. Now I I know, as your pastor, I know that it can be very challenging sometimes when we have failed to go to God. Sometimes we feel shame. 
We feel shame. We can't believe what we have done. We, we can't believe that we let the Lord down again. And, and that's the second thing. We, we're tired of confessing that same sin over and over and over. And so we're just like, is it, is it even worth it? We have a spiritual enemy, which I try to talk about because I, I believe he is real and working against us. Satan, he tries to tell us that you can't go to God. Look at what you've done. He's going to reject you. He's not going to love you. A child of God wouldn't do this. He, he just throws all kinds of lies at us. And then th- this last one, we find ourselves wondering, will I be forgiven? If I do go, if I take this step, will God forgive me? The answer is yes. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our, us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness. When we come to the Lord with true, biblical, deep brokenness, this Psalm 51 kind of sorrow over our sin. When we, when we say, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you, or you and you only is my sin against. When we acknowledge our sin, when we're like the prodigal son who comes home and says, I've made a mess of my life. When we take that step, forgiveness and cleansing is what comes to us. That is what is promised us from the word of God. When we, when we take the step and go to the Lord, when we're like that son who says, I am going home because my father is loving, my father is gracious, he is going to forgive me. We can always go. Forgiveness is there for us when we truly repent. Look at verse 9. It says, when they got on, out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of this fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. The net was not torn. That key, that little detail that John gives us, he says there's so much fish, 153, and it's full, but the net is holding. Now in church history, people have asked the question, in that phrase, is there some symbolic meaning to it? And F.F. Bruce is helpful here. In his commentary, he says, he says, if, if there's a symbolic significance to the unbroken net, it lies ready to hand. It says, the gospel net will never break. You hear that? The gospel net will never break. No matter how many converts it catches, there is no limit to the number it will take. The gospel net is large. The gospel net is big. It has no, it, it has no limit to how much it can take. And there is good motivation for us to continue to creatively share the gospel, to continue share, sharing the gospel in compassionate ways believing that as we do that, God will catch many, many in his net. I want you to notice as well that the gospel net is secure. The gospel net is secure. You, you, you see that? It says that the net was not torn. The gospel net will never fail. The gospel net will never fail us. Once we're in, we are in. That's why in John 10, 28, Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Speaking of those who believe in him and trust in him, that he is holding us. 
that we are in his hand, that we are secure, that once we're in the family of God, we cannot get out of the family of God. Nobody can pull us out. We are in, we are secure, we are safe, we are good in the hands of Jesus Christ. Not only are, do we have a Savior who can hold us and keep us, we also have a Savior who's thoughtful, who is thoughtful. Jesus knows these brothers have been out there toiling, working all night, grinding, and they've got nothing. And he knew that they would be hungry. He knew they would be hungry. Look at verse 12. He says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and said, and so with the fish, he gives it to them. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the, uh, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead, alive, revealed himself to the disciples. Now, notice that John says, none of the disciples dared ask who you are. That verb, the verb that's translated ask, means to research, research something by using a careful method. It means to sort of really scrutinize something. It means, it means that the disciples, when they looked at Jesus, they wanted to ask him some deep questions. They wanted to cross-examine him. And this tells us something about the Christian life. It reminds us that we live with belief and questions. We, we don't have all the answers. We live with belief and questions. We worship and we wonder. And until Jesus comes, that is, that is the reality that we have, to, we, have to, we have to deal with, that not all the questions are answered for us right now. And even right now in this season, we're asking lots, what's going on? Why is, is the Lord doing this and allowing this to happen? But we have to, we have to just live with some of those questions. But when Jesus returns, when he comes... All our lingering questions will be answered. We may not have all the answers right now, but we will get every single question answered. All things would be, will be made clear to us. And you know what I know it will do? When all things are made clear to us, it will lead us to a place of rejoicing. It will lead us to a place of thankfulness as we see all the things that God was doing in the midst of the things that confused us. Jesus says, come and have breakfast Come and have breakfast. They show up and notice that Jesus made the meal, but he's also serving the meal. It says, it says that Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. He served them. Here's the third reason to be grateful that Jesus is alive. We are being served by him. We are being served by him. They knew it was Jesus because of the miracle, yes, but they also knew it was Jesus because he served. They knew it was Jesus because he, Jesus was doing what he always does. Jesus, the ultimate servant leader, was serving them again. And he has served us. He has served us with his life and his death, which we remembered on Good Friday, that he died in my place, that he died so that I could be healed. He died so that my relationship with God could be restored. He died so that my relationship with those in my life could be restored as I confess and repent and seek forgiveness. He served us by sending the Holy Spirit, who gives us power to defeat sin, who gives us the ability to understand the Word of God, who gives us the ability to live 
the word of God. He's serving us now by praying for us. We talked about that in a previous message, that Jesus is holding me down in prayer, that he's praying for me all the time, that my faith would not fail, that I would endure in the midst of the struggle. He's praying for me. He serves us through communion as he invites us to uh, his table. And we haven't taken communion on Good Friday, but we will take that the next time the Lord allows us to gather together and remember his death on our behalf, and he will serve us when he comes. Do you know that? Jesus promises to serve us when he comes. Let me show you. I'm not lying. Verse Luke 12 says, Blessed are those whose those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Jesus will continue. He is serving us now. We are being served by him and he will serve us when we comes. And he does all of this because he loves us. He does all of this because this is who he is. He does all of this also because he is giving us an example to follow. See, we have been served by Jesus, and now he calls us to be people who serve others, who live this sort of way. And in these challenging times, more than ever, you and I have opportunities to serve. We have opportunities to serve. And so let's be asking God to show us, show me the person who, who needs to be loved and cared for, asking the Lord, give us creativity as we think through how to care for those who are around us. Help us, Lord, to be willing and have hearts that want to meet the needs of others because we are seeking to be like our Savior who served us in the ultimate way and now calls us to be a people who serve. We have been given a gift and we're called to use it to serve others as good stewards of God's grace. When we serve with our life, we are stewarding the gifts God has given us well. We're stewarding our time well, and we're stewarding our life well. He calls us to be a people who serve. Peter wanted to get to Jesus as fast as he could, and that's because he understood some things about Jesus, and maybe you understand these things too. He understood that Jesus is compassionate, he understood that Jesus is kind, and more than anything, he understood that Jesus is forgiving, that Jesus is forgiving. Hold on a second, just checking um, my mic. He understood that Jesus is forgiven, forgiving. Verse 15 says, when, he, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know I, that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says here, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? We, John tells us about the internal feeling Peter had. He was grieved. He says, he says, do you love me? He said, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's the final reason, the fourth reason to be, be grateful that Jesus is alive. And it's this, we are gently restored by him. 
We are gently restored by him. Breakfast is done, and Jesus uh, and Peter take a walk. And you're like, how do, how do you know they're, they're walking? Well, look at verse 20. It says, it says in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. John is following behind as Peter and Jesus go on this private walk to have a talk. See, Jesus models something for us here. He, he takes Peter privately and has a discussion with him over what happened back at that fire. And he, he teaches us that when somebody hurts us, that when there's some relational strain, that what we are to do is to take them aside privately. We're not supposed to shame them. We're not supposed to gossip about them. We're not supposed to try to make them feel small. We, we, we go to them privately and we say, hey, let's talk. Let's get this thing right. Something's happened. We've had some, we've had some beef and we need to work this through. I'm confused and I just want to ask you some questions. And we're stating things in objective ways. We're not accusing. We're asking. We're trying to gather facts and we're trying to do our best to get things Right, but we do it privately. Jesus models that for us. And Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know everything, Lord. You know I love you. And when Peter responds this way, Jesus responds to him with a commission. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And we know we know that Peter obeyed this because when you read the book of Acts, you see Peter doing this, feeding, tending, caring for the church, really guiding and caring for God's people. And then you read first and second Peter, you see this, that he, he has this pastoral heart, that he, he is gentle and he calls the church to live in a way that honors the Lord. And you know that he, he really cares deeply for the sheep. See, I, I give you that illustration. I tell you that because I want you to know and, and, and to remind myself that, that obedience shows love. That obedience shows love. See, we can't say, I love Jesus, and then not do what Jesus tells us. That's, that's just a true reality that Scripture makes very clear to us. If I say, I love Jesus Christ, that means I do what he says. Jesus says in John 5, 14, verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. And, and, and our obedience is driven by knowing we are loved. I say this a lot in our church because it's very important to me. We do not obey because we're trying to get God to love us. We obey because we're already loved by God. Remember, when we talked about this at the beginning of the Proverbs series, that the, the rescue comes before the rules, that God rescues us, and then he calls us to walk in ways that bring honor and glory to him. And even when we fall, when we make mistakes, when we sin, there's still grace for us as we come in repentance, seeking for forgiveness. It says we love because he first loved us. And so we don't obey because we're trying to get God to love us. We obey because we're deeply loved by God. We're loved by Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is look at the cross to remember that reality. In this commission, notice that Jesus says the word my three times. I put up two, but it was three. Three times. And like this shirt belongs to me, the church belongs to Jesus. That is what he's trying to make clear here. He says, my lambs, my sheep, my sheep, they belong to me. And Edward Clink, 
he's, you can tell he was helpful to me in writing this message. He says, if the first part of this story concerned the work of God outside the church in the world, and in the world, this pericope is concerned with the work of God within the church. See, Jesus saves people. And we should be praying that in this time that he does that, that he uses the church to shine a light and that we'd see more people come to Christ. He saves people. And then you know what he does? He brings them into the family. He brings them into the church. But here's the thing. Jesus expects his people to be cared for well. He expects these people to be cared for well. And, and that's why in our church, we try to encourage people to take steps of membership. We want to know you. We feel this responsibility to look after you. We, are, we feel, we believe from Scripture that we'll have to present you before the Lord and give an account of our care for you because of verses like this, passages like this that tell us that Jesus cares deeply about how we care for his sheep. And the word the words ten, feed, they, they speak of the range that is required, of shepherding that is required of the people of God. And there's no pastor who can take this call lightly, this call to shepherd the flock of God, to tend and to care for God's people. Here's the thing. The love a pastor has for Jesus is reflected in how he shepherds the flock. See, you can... You can tell sometimes how much a pastor loves Jesus or, whether, how, or, or how much he loves himself when you look at the way he cares for the people. Is he, is, is he trying to build his own little kingdom? Or is he truly about pointing people to the one who they should be following, Jesus Christ, the one who can truly care for their souls? The, the love of a pastor for Jesus the love a pastor has for Jesus is reflected in how the pastor shepherds the flock of God that is entrusted to their care. And hearing this, tend, feed, tend, feed, hearing this from Jesus would have brought joy to Peter's heart because he knew in this moment he was being restored to his ministry. See, our God, and we've heard this phrase before, our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances, chances, and you and I, we are a picture of this reality. First Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. There was a time where we were outside the people of God. We've talked about that already. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are receiving mercy from God. Even now, it says, surely in the Psalm, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Even now, I'm receiving mercy from God. We are a picture of the, of the truth that God gives second chances, that there's nobody too far for him to save, for him to bring back, for him to rescue if we truly turn. And Peter, he knows all about second chances. And the truth is, all of us have been Peter. See, Peter's one of my favorite guys in Scripture. I, I, re, I just appreciate him because he just keeps it real. What you, with him is what you see is what you get. And I, li I appreciate people like that. And Peter knows all about second chances. And sometimes we're hard on Peter, the way we, he gets talked about when I, when I hear different preachers talk about Peter. But the reality is we've all been Peter. We're all Peter. We've all failed 
in so many ways. We've all fallen flat on our face. He's just a picture of all of us. But like Peter, we have all experienced God's grace. And because of that, now we are called saints. We are called his beloved. We are called the bride of Christ. We are the priesthood of believers. We are to minister and care for one another. We are the children of God. Why? Because our God gives second chances. He gently restores those who turn and say, I have made a mistake. I did sin. I did fall on my face. Please forgive me. And now you can see why John, when he's on that boat and they realize who's on the shore, he says, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Because Jesus being alive changes everything. Nothing is the same anymore because our Savior has risen. He is alive. And that brings all kinds of blessing and benefits to my life and the life of others who trust in Jesus Christ. See, we have lots to be grateful for. That is true. Even in this moment, we have lots to be grateful for. And with all that we're going through, it's so easy for our joy to be stolen right now, to be snatched away. But don't lose your joy. We have so much to be thankful for. But the number one thing is this. Jesus is alive. That is the number one thing. Say it with me. Jesus is alive. Even from a distance, say it. Jesus is alive alive. We have lots to be grateful for, but this should be number one. This should be tops on our list. It is the Lord. He is with us. He is alive, and we should be grateful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son, Lord, you raised him from the dead, that they went that day and the tomb was empty, and then he revealed himself over and over again to his disciples. And Lord, we believe that one day, very soon, we will see him face to face. He will reveal himself to us at his return. But in the meantime, Lord, I pray that we would be joyful. And this is a different kind of Easter. We know that. We get it. But Lord, even in that, we still have much to be grateful for, much to be joyful about. And I believe your word has shown that to us today. And so I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. You would renew our gospel joy. You would fill us with your spirit and and cause us to serve one another in this season and glorify you with our lives. But I pray we would rest in the reality of our Savior being alive and trust that you are caring for us and trust that we can always come to you in the most trying times, in the moments where we have failed, we will find grace. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.